Hey everyone, welcome back to the channel. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've definitely tried to make these EMS interviews a thing on my channel. I just want to showcase people who are showing up for EMS in a positive manner. And with all that being said, I would like to introduce to you today's guest. His name is Jim Hoffman. He has been in EMS for almost 30 years, did most of his career on the East Coast, and is now currently in North Carolina. He's worked for EMS in the urban capacity, in the rural capacity. He's been an educator for quite a while. At one point was even voted New York's Paramedic of the Year. And if you haven't already heard of him, he does have a podcast called EMS Office Hours. He has currently taken a step off of the ambulance and works full-time in the education sector of EMS, helping people pass their class. And not only that, focusing on bridging the gap between passing your class and also passing the National Registry and going on to be a successful EMT or paramedic. Meet Jim Hoffman. Jim, welcome to the channel right. today. Today I have Jim Hoffman. Jim Hoffman is the creator of Turbo Medic. I just asked him to come on the channel today just to kind of talk a little bit more about the guy behind the program, give us a little bit of a better idea of who you are as a person, Jim. So with that being said, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got into EMS. Well, it's funny. Um, I was in the military. I was in a combat unit, but I had medics there and I used to always watch the medics doing their thing. And I was very interested in what they did and how they did the first aid and things like that. And then when I got out of the military, I got involved a lot in book publishing. And then one day I was just walking through the city streets of New York, saw an ambulance stop to do a motor vehicle accident and watch them working on the scene and see how kind of seamless they were doing things. And they seemed so organized and knew what they were doing. And I said, you know what, I got to get into that. So I ended up taking an EMT class, started volunteering, took a pay cut, became an EMT. That was it. After that, I just kept going, the EMT, paramedic, became an instructor, do my own business type thing. And that's it. I, that I, I've been doing it ever since. I love it and just love being able to share what I've learned over the past 25 plus years, you know, doing EMS. Yeah, for sure. So you, you did four years in the military prior to EMS? Yeah. Yeah, the four years in the military, then I went and did just regular business stuff, you know, kind of doing the publishing thing for a little bit. That's one of the things why I do a lot of publishing stuff now, because it's kind of like my original, original job back in the day. I used to work actually for a company called Raven Press, which is part of Lippincott, which is all medical publishing. That's where I actually started out in my medical sort of uh, exposure, you know, to things, all things medical. And then ever since then, like I said, I'd be at the EMT thing going on and started doing that. And I actually started doing the publishing my own books I used to publish a little field guide a pocket field guide for paramedics in New York City and that's where it started and that's when I started doing sort of my own kind of side thing and realized there wasn't a lot of stuff out there for people in the field that needed kind of quick resources that's not the stuff you do like that quick kind of fast resources quick little tips and tricks and stuff to kind of help people when they kind of get stuck you know everyone gets that formal education you know and you can't really touch that but when you're doing kind of the the things to sort of augment that and kind of help people along when they get stuck. I love doing that type of stuff. And I found a lot of great feedback with that and just kind of kept me going to where I am today. And I would imagine back when there was no TikTok or there was no Instagram or Facebook, yeah. I mean, obviously the word's a little bit more difficult to get out there. So the pocket field guide I met sure. was probably a big hit. Am I right? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, there wasn't any apps out there for people to use field guides. You know, um, I would make the field guide and I would actually sell it before I even had them in house. 
and I would be sold out before I even got the box of uh, books, you know, to me. I would put a flyer up in the emergency room, you know, kind of break rooms, and then, you know, give people my phone number or an email address, and they would just order it that way, you know. Yeah, and I mean, even today, they're still doing pocket guides and field books, and they're sure. still selling. I mean, they, they still do well, but I'm sure the internet has definitely changed the game on, and social yeah. media has changed the game on that. Yeah, I do find that, that you know, there's different ways. That's something I've realized over the years, too, that some people like having a physical book in their hand. You know, a lot of the textbook nowadays and, and plots of the textbook for EMT classes and paramedic classes are online, but some people just like having the book. They like having the big textbook in front of them so they can flip through it and highlight, make tabs and all that stuff and, and help them study and you know get the information that way. Some people like just audio type stuff. Some people love YouTube, watching YouTube stuff. So I think everyone's method of getting the content is different. So while I think I guess the internet and, and stuff online and apps and all that is useful to people, and I think a majority of people use that, there are still people who like the physical thing in their hand, you know, even the combination of the two. Oh, yeah. I don't have the heart to get rid of all my EMT books. Um, <laughs> because number one, I find them just a really good resource to look back on if I have like a specific question. Oh, yeah. I have somebody ask me a specific question. And to be honest, I just don't know the answer. And I need like right. a little refresher. I always go back to my book. And of course, you know, everything updates over the years and stuff. So I have to be mindful of that. But a lot of the core principles don't change. So are you still a practicing medic on a track? Or are you just on the education side? I'm just on education. I actually just kind of left the truck part of it maybe three months ago, something like that. Because um, I moved the agency that I was working for, got rid of their EMS division. They went strictly just a 100% fire. And I, I was also in the process of moving. I was in North Carolina and I moved to Florida. And so now I'm in Florida, just focusing everything on the education side right now. Oh, awesome. Have you seen like a big difference from where you were to Florida when it comes to the EMS scope? Or is it fairly similar? Well, like you said before, right, the, the, the nuts and bolts of it are pretty much the same, right? Not your glycerin, no matter where you go is going to do the same thing for this for the patients and most protocols are, are you know matched about the same and i think there are certain areas that give you as far as the medic side when you're talking about protocols that are specific to that region you know the, the medical directors create the protocol specific to that region or they create protocols specific to what their beliefs are you know i had medical medical director that didn't believe in the rsi thing you know you're too close to a hospital we're not going to do rsi stuff then i had in the same state the next county over that medical director believed in it and he would push the RSI. So it depends upon that. That kind of changes, but the nuts and bolts of things are pretty much always going to be the same. I've worked in New York City, New Jersey, upstate New York, uh, like I said, North Carolina, and everything is the same. EMS is the same. I haven't have seen that much of a difference. No matter what state, whether it's big city or, or rural type of you know, area, it's all the same thing. EMS is the same. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there are little variations and a lot of times- right. They're shocking to maybe someone like, I know in certain states, intubation is a skill for an advanced EMT. That's shocking to me. Whereas where I'm from, an AEMT or an intermediate can administer narcotics. That's not a thing in a lot of states. 
That's one thing I'll, I'll say too, over the years, and I do the podcast that I do, and I've had guests on the podcast from all over the country, and it's opened my eye because they're being shocked about some of the things that go on in other states and other areas. And I've interviewed, you know, other paramedics and medical directors and things like that. It does sometimes shock me when they tell me something that their agency does or, or, or protocol that they have. One place was doing chest tubes or, or one area, and one place was doing needle cranks, and they had devices they were using. Using. And it would just kind of open my eyes that I'm in a little bubble in the state that I'm in. And over the years doing the podcast and doing the internet stuff, and it really did open my eyes to the, the variation of EMS across the country. And even with the volunteer stuff, some areas of volunteer element is very, very large and other places not as big. Kind of just opened my eyes to that type of stuff. Or even in some areas, they just don't have a whole level. Like they won't have the advanced EMT or the intermediate yes. level. Yes, that was right, exactly. That whole, that whole third Certification isn't even there. They're like, what are you talking about? You know, intermediate. No, it's just EMT and then you're a paramedic and there's nothing in between. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll have some people send me a message that says like, people don't have any business going from EMT to medic. And I'm like, well, in some states, that's the only thing they that's can do. you have, right. Yeah. While we're talking about that, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you offer to EMS students and just your whole program? Oh, um, pretty much uh, I, I have the two main websites, which is turbomedic.com and then I have emssco.com. They're a little different where the one website kind of offers very specific things to students or current providers to help them, you know, master content, to help them pass exams. I try to not focus as much as, oh, let's just take a bunch of practice tests and then you'll memorize all the questions. I try to focus more on them mastering the content, letting them understand how tests are made, how to take tests. Because I found that when I've, I've actually coached students that one of the biggest things that they struggle with isn't really the content of what they learned in school. Most people, you know, dumb being EMS. Most people, they take EMT or paramedic class. They got a brain in their head. They can remember the content. They understand what they're taking in. There might be little pieces that they struggle with, like medical math and things like that. But when it comes to the exams, most people struggle with the anxiety, with the process of the actual exam itself. So I try to offer little small content resources on the EMS SEO site to help people with that. So it's low cost, so it's free for them to access. Paramedic is more of a, a monthly or an annual type thing where they sign up for. And that does do that as well. It helps them with their exams and it helps them with preparing for, for tests and understanding content. But it's also, I feel, one of the things that I, I try to say is to be better at EMS, right? So that the content that they're looking at is helping them sort of improve on what they've already learned in school. You know, I, and I always tell people, I'm not here to reteach you what you've already learned or provide you the same, you know, presentation you saw on stroke, you know, a thousand times inside of a member's site for you to log in and watch again. I'm trying to give you the things that are going to kind of elevate you just a little bit more that maybe the video that I'm giving you or the document that I'm letting you download or the exam that you're taking is going to give you just that one or two little nuggets of information that's going to elevate you a little bit more of your understanding of that topic. You know, sure, I have the, the basic nuts and bolts of everything on, this, on those sites too, but my focus is to try to get people to elevate themselves to where they want to be. So when they're struggling with the piece of content, they can go into the website, get the additional little pieces that I'm hoping is going to put that whole piece of the puzzle together for them from what they've learned in school, what maybe they watched on 
on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, and then get those additional pieces together for them that they can totally master that content. And then it's also a resource for them to go back to later on, right? Google, I always tell people too, EMS, I always find this constant testing environment, right? Whether you're being tested, where you work constantly, you're always being evaluated on your paperwork, on your skills. And then there's always every two years and some places every one year, they have annual assessments where you work and you have to retest there, whether it's a skill or a short exam, things like that. So it's always, you know, I always tell you, don't get complacent when you graduate and you get your EMT card or your paramedic card. You've got to really keep learning. You got to really keep refreshing, even on that basic stuff, like how to take a blood pressure, because that's the stuff that matters, you know, getting the basics down, knowing the new, knowing what the normal is so that when you see the abnormal, you immediately recognize it and know how to act and treat that patient. I think too, like getting into this field, if you're not on the education side where you're kind of required to know what you're teaching, a lot of times it's easy to fall into complacency. You you have to be willing to kind of roll with the punches. Medicine is always changing. So it's two separate programs. Yeah, the EMS, the EMS SEO site, I would call the SEO, I kind of focus on success, education, and opportunity, I call it. But I feel in order to get that success, you have to have the education and have to be aware and keep an eye out for the opportunities that can present themselves to you. You know, you can't be on an ambulance going day to day, doing things on the, on the truck every day, and then you hear about a flight medic job or you hear about a uh, maybe a supervisor job or a lead medic job or something like that or QAQI type, you know, opportunity might open up to you and then suddenly start to say, okay, this job is available to me and I'm going to suddenly start shining my boots, ironing my uniform, studying everything and then show them that I am ready, right? You got to kind of always be in that, that frame of mind, always be presenting yourself that way. So when the opportunity does come, you're ready for it, right? You've already brushed off a lot of the content. You kind of know what you're talking about. You're, you're wearing a clean uniform, you're shining your shoes, you're presenting yourself well. You know, too many people get kind of disheartened when they see promotion come up in the, in the agency they're in and they don't get the promotion. They wonder why. And they fail to realize that, you know, a lot of times the managers and supervisors, they're watching you, whether you know it or not. And then they can tell the people that are always sort of on the ball and trying to be ready for that next difficult patient, trying to be ready for when they're, you know, going to be tested on something versus the person that's just going day by day. And then when they see the opportunity, they see the job posting come up, they suddenly want to try to present themselves in that light. So you're being watched. And so it's it's not that you got to walk in every day and, and bang the, uh, the company drum, you know, as they say, but you got to be kind of prepared for that type of stuff. So the EMS SEO side, I try to focus on that so people can do that. And the Terramedic side, like I said, is more to help augment the day-to-day -day stuff and to really get you prepared for anything that might come your way in EMS. And I always tell people they sign up at myterramedic.com and that's sort of the free entry level sort of insider back end of that where they can kind of see what the content's all about. It's like a free level. It's like a free level there. And they can go in there and check that out and get a lot of free content by doing that and sign up. It's free. Nothing, no, no charge there. And if you like it, you stay. If you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe and not be a free member at all. It's up to, you know, it's up to the individual. So I always try to make it very low pressure for anyone to try to get into my little inner circle. Really, really cool. So where could people go in order to find out um, how to sign up and 
just, I know you have a YouTube channel and I, I actually, that's how I originally found you back in medical school. Um, and the YouTube channel is under EMS SEO, correct? Right, right. But you can go to, like I said, go to myturbomedic.com. That's probably the easiest way to go there, do the little synopsis there, what it's all about. And then you can sign up and become a free member of Turbomedic right there. No big deal. Just sign up. You confirm the email so that you're not getting spammed and that you let it, you know, you're agreeing that I'm going to be, you know, sending you the information you want. Because once you do that, you get inside a lot of the other social media channels on Facebook and Instagram, and then you'll get access and, you know, reminders for the other main side of EMS SEO and kind of just kind of get into the whole sort of thing. So the easiest way, just go to myturbomedic.com and just sign up there. It's probably the easiest way for people to get access and, and kind of get some great content in the process. Awesome. And I know you do have um, an Instagram and I will say one of the things that I think you do on your Instagram every once in a while is create just like little images, breaking down different disease processes. And that I feel like because I'm a visual learner is very helpful to a lot of people. Definitely go check him out on Instagram under EMS safe. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and, and like I said, I, I try to create that content. I try to post at least once a day, just something interesting. And then I also post a little personal stuff on Instagram too, here and there. And my life is about what I'm doing, whether it's my, my French bulldog or you know, <laughs> something that I cooked. Everyone gets tired of looking at the EMS stuff after a while, right? Yes, yes. I saw somebody post recently that they didn't want to see all the dog content on my account. And I was like, it's not going anywhere because I love dogs and you get tired yeah. of seeing the same old stuff all the time. So I got, I got booted. I got booted off of a Facebook uh, group. It was a national registry Facebook group. And I was posting like pictures, like personal pictures and they just booted me. They gave me a warning. They didn't say anything. And I can't, I said, Hey man, why'd you boot me off? I, I put a lot of content in, in the group. Oh, you're putting too many personal things, you know, on there. And it, it's not, this is a, a site just for natural registry exam taking it's not about you know you and your girlfriend or your dog or your trip anyway so all right well okay you know yeah all feelings it's fine it is what it is i mean some people right. are strictly educational but i think I mean, I'm the same way on my Instagram. I definitely uh, incorporate different aspects of my life. You know, I work at a fire department. We have a fire dog. So you'll see a lot of pictures of him, of my own dogs, and um, just, you know, different videos yeah. here and there and things like that. Yeah. You said you were from the New York, New Jersey area. Were you there when 9-11 happened? Yes, yes. I was there on 9-11, and shortly afterwards, I was there in some of the recovery, and then I stopped doing that. I wasn't working that day but when the first tower was hit and they called everybody in and i drove into brooklyn and from there i was assigned to a mobile response unit with me another paramedic two emts a supervisor and we drove into the city from there they just kind of moved us around all all over the city throughout the day to provide support you know, for what was going on. So we were there for pretty much the entire day, you know, after the, we got there pretty much right after the second tower had fallen. It was, you know, surreal type of a thing. And it's one of those things where we got there and there wasn't really a lot for us to do once we got there, it was over. The biggest thing we did really was we were on the side of the Brooklyn Bridge, helping all the people that were walking over into Brooklyn from Manhattan. So triaging these all like hundreds of people that were coming over and all of them, you know, with various complaints, respiratory complaints and things like that from breathing in all the, the dust and then chemicals and all. The one thing I will say is 
it was one of those things where you say to yourself, okay, this is what EMS is like really about. Normally day to day, people would tell you, oh, I have, I'm having an asthma attack and you would assess them. And then you'd say, okay, maybe they're not really having an asthma attack. Right. And you can't refuse them transport. You can't say, we're not taking to the hospital. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. But on 9-11, you were able to tell people, listen, dude, you're not really having an asthma attack. You're having an anxiety attack and we're not going to overwhelm a hospital because you're having an anxiety attack. It was just the type of thing we were able to tell people that were didn't really need an ambulance. They didn't really need an ambulance type thing, you know, because the system was so overwhelmed and so many people, you only wanted to take people to the hospital that really needed to go to the hospital at that point. I mean, you, you know? were essentially so triaging. Right, right. Exactly. So it was one of those, one of those days where, you know, the, the, and I had never triaged that many people before. I never had that many people want trying to pick and choose all these walking wounded and all these people that were, you know, various ailments and complaints and trying to weed them all out and getting ambulances and town ambulances who had to go where and, and things like that. So it was, it was um, quite the experience. And then we went into the city and parked Parked very close to the towers there. We were there when the when the one the Tower Eleven had fell, had fallen, and we had to clear out of the area. It was it was funny because we were sitting there for like an hour, pretty much doing nothing. All of a sudden, oh, the, this tower is going to fall. We have to clear out of here. And the, the the battery died on the truck. So I'm like, well, we can't go anywhere now because the battery is dead. But it was again one of those things where everything kind of came together because now there was a tow truck there. That was FDNY tow truck that came over to us, jumped us real quick, you know, jumped the battery, and we were we were out of there. Where on a daily basis, you didn't really have that kind of that kind of cohesion going on. But, but when you had so much stuff in that day, everyone was working together, whether you're police, fire, EMS, whatever it was, all the resources were there for you. Everything was available to you to go ahead and get the job done. You know, whatever was left after the, the towers had fell. Y'all were actually able to really work together. And yeah. And not to say you don't work together on a, on a regular basis. We did, but for whatever reason, you know, when something like that happened, it's like, there's no differences to anything. Everyone is, that's when you, you see that whole thing of, of everybody coming together type thing yeah. you know that happens i think that happens with a lot of a lot of major events like that you see you know, going on in the country you know, active shooters and things like that and and even this collapse that happened in in uh, florida recently too you, you tend to see that when that stuff goes on there's a lot of interagency cooperation and and cohesion and and everyone works together like like there's no kind of, you know, the sideways comments or backbiting that goes on on a regular basis, you know, whether it's kidding or serious or whatever. But when you have something major like, major like that happen, I always find that everybody comes together and the nonsense tends to stop. Oh yeah, for sure. All hands on deck sort of. Right, exactly. Sort of yeah. Cause like, I'm sure like you work for a fire agency, I work for fire agency as well. And there's always that little bit of divide between the EMS and fire side. But then when there's an actual structure fire, it's like everything comes together type oh, of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and vice versa, EMS wise, if serious stuff is going down on a scene, right. everybody's there and we have each other's back. So exactly. Get the get the, the jobs that would hurt patients panned in the vehicle, you get the cardiac arrest, 
calls and things like that. It's like everybody is is 100% on the same page. And that's what I love about that type of stuff. You know, that the professionalism that comes through is, is just amazes me even to this day that it's always the same. That professionalism comes through and like you said, all hands are on deck and there's no, no question about who does what job, what their jobs are. And everybody knows it and they act act appropriately. You basically lived history, essentially. I mean, you... Makes me feel old. I'm sorry? Makes you feel old. Oh. You know? No, but, I mean, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to the memorial and it was, it was just touching, you know? And I mean, of course, I was an American just like everybody else, heard about it, watched it on the news. Um, but it, I mean, New York just seemed so far away. It was the other side of the country for me. So even though it it stung our side of the country, it wasn't the same. I mean, you guys saw it face to face and saw all the tragedy. And I will ask you, since you were there for a lot of the recovery, I mean, have you had any issues? I know so many people are facing health issues now because yeah. of Nothing, um, nothing that I, that I can say goes back to that. Never had, never had any respiratory issues or anything like that. Um, the only thing I ever had was a little, I had a, a big issue with vertigo for a while, but I never could trace it back to yeah. 9-11 or anything. People that I, I know, people that have been, that were there with me that end up getting sick and have respiratory issues. Um, the guy I do the podcast with, uh, Josh Knapp, he's had respiratory problems, you know, over the years that he traces back to 9-11. It's just one of those things, I guess, you, you know, I mean, I think now at this point, I can never trace anything that far back to be, to say with 100%, you know, 9-11. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say, I, um, I'll send you a link to it, but... I wrote an article about one of the EMTs that died on 9-11. Um, I'll send you an article to that and kind of give you a, a viewpoint of, of that. You can kind of share with people the article that I wrote that went on the uh, on the main blog. For sure. Well, I definitely will. How are you feeling about all the recent tragedies and craziness that has been going on within the news? I mean, we had the Tucson incident. I, I'm sure you heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know if it's just a climate that we're in where where the the the, the lack of respect and the the issues that are going on with the police department where police are being you know disrespected a lot and not you know not given any sort of support and things like that and now that's starting to maybe trickle down to the EMS and fire because we're in uniforms and we have badges and we arrive on scenes with lights and and you know and vehicles and sirens and things like that and now we're easily becoming sort of the next target I mean all the years that I've been that I was in EMS I never thought about wearing a bulletproof vest or anything or nowadays you have more and more providers out there that are looking to wear a bulletproof vest I know when they when the, the whole when a lot of the riots were going on there were people who were wearing helmets and vests and wearing total tactical gear just to respond to basic calls because they were afraid that something might happen to them when they get you know to to the scene you, you've seen images and, and videos of ambulances being jumped on by crowds of people whether the patient in the back or just the, the crew in the front what do they do do they run people over do they get out and let them take over the ambulance or maybe get out and get assaulted or, or you know even killed themselves and now there's Tucson thing with this one EMT that was shot in the head and I haven't followed up with the other one that, that they said was in critical condition I haven't followed up with that to see how that that EMT is doing but you know it's the type of thing you you never expect um I mean I've been shot at on on you know a couple of calls and I've had things thrown at me on calls and things like that but that's more sort of a random 
thing, not a, not something that was targeted directly at me or my crew. You know what I mean? I guess people have to be more alert, you know, and more aware of the surroundings. And I think no matter how alert or, or where you are, there's still the potential of, of something negative happening. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult, I think, time that we're in right now. And I think the EMTs and even firefighters and police are really in a lot of danger on a daily basis, especially EMTs and, and firemen that, that respond with police to calls, yeah. you know, because right away the police are a target and then the, the EMTs become a target. And, you know, it's easy. EMTs and the firefighters are an easier target because they don't have the guns. They don't have the bulletproof vest. Or even you know? training, I mean. Right, even the training, exactly. And then, you know, the, I've been on, stuff, you know, over the years I was on a, you know, active shooter training and the whole time thinking like, this is such a joke. This is not what's going to happen in real life. Doing the training, you're going through it. It's like one time over three years, you know, three years later, you kind of forget even the staging part of it that went on. You know, this is where we're going to stage and this is what's going to happen. And this one's in charge. And meanwhile, three years later, the one that was going to be in charge is left to another department or he left someplace else, not even there anymore. The staging area is going to be different. So I think we have to kind of do more training. And one of the things that I, that I think that we don't do enough of is even the tabletop sort of training. It doesn't always have to be a live training, live scenario that can be on a big table. It can be showing us maps and, and stick figures or whatever it is to kind of get us used to what we're going to be expecting, what we should be doing, what we, where we're going to respond and things like that. Rather than just always waiting for the big event, we're going to have this big live, you know, MCI simulation event, you know, big live active shooter simulation. We don't have to wait for that once a year or once every two years or whatever it is. We can do it on a tabletop. You know, local agencies can do it on a tabletop and get people involved and, and more familiar with it, especially when a lot of agencies don't have a big budget to do live, you know, live uh, simulation scenarios. Yes, definitely. I think it's it's pretty obvious that there are some situations. Uh, I talked about it in a video that I made, I think this past week, where all the scene safety in the world can't protect you, unfortunately, yeah. um, because there yeah. are just people out there that um, have the goal to do harm. I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't there for um, the Tucson incident, but from what I sound, it sounds like, um, I mean, there was not much that they knew or could prepare yeah. themselves for. Exactly. Just an ambush sort of thing, which is yeah. is just so unfortunate. I've been I, I'm, I've been on calls. I'm sure you have too, where you know, the patient became violent or the family became violent. And I found myself wrestling suddenly with the family member, wrestling with the patient. And then after the call, I'm like, how did I get in that situation? I'm always, always on the lookout for it. Always trying to get out of a scene. I, I left equipment on scene and left the house. I've left scene, you know, e you know, found a way to egress with my partner before it got to a point like that. And when I wasn't able to do it and I found myself in that situation of wrestling with a patient or trying to restrain a patient or trying to find fight my way out of a situation after the adrenaline dies down and you're sitting you're saying to yourself what what could I have done differently to avoid that in the future and there were a few that I said that I, I was able to recognize that I could have done xyz differently to not get into that situation but there are other ones that I said to myself there really was nothing that me or my partner could have done to change it and I think a lot of people have to really do that and I think that's what a lot of things in EMS I think I've done videos on that too, where I've talked about evaluating the calls that you do. You know, after the call, evaluate 
how did that go? What could I have done differently? What could my partner have done differently? What could I have given, treated, said, written, whatever the case may be, so that you're always preparing yourself for that next call. And it could be basic, like maybe I didn't take that blood pressure right. I could have put the blood pressure cuff on differently and maybe I could have listened without the ambulance moving before we took off. I could have listened with the ambulance, you know, stationary and gotten a better read on the on the BP. Um, you know, I always tell people, do things for the basic stuff, you know, because most of what we get is, is basic and is, you know, not really emergencies, right? So do the basic stuff. So when you get hit with that true emergency or that hectic scene or the violent patient or blood pressure, you can't read, you'll know it, you know, you'll be able to read it more because you're so used to the regular stuff and be prepared for that. No, I, I think it's safe to say that going over calls, almost every call could be the most run-of-the-mill call just going over them and talking about them with your partner and what you could have done different or what could have been going on with that patient or why they acted like that or why you know whatever it's beneficial something that I do like with my interns that I get like we go over every single call could be a lift assist I, I think at one at one point we went on a lift assist and we helped the guy up and you could just hear his little bones just creaking and making all kinds of noise and stuff so soon as we get in there, he's like, did you feel that? I'm like, I felt that. What do you think is going on with him? Well, he has a history of this. Could be that. I mean, as something as simple as a lift assist, you can kind of learn and, and break it Absolutely. down. Still, I've also found too, like with calls like that, where after the call, I'm like, you know, I could have asked about this history. I could have checked for this medication. Or I could have checked for, you know, maybe even fall hazards. I mean, a lot. Of, I don't know a lot of agencies now that I work for an agency where that was a big thing that we were doing. We were checking for hazards in the home for elderly people, for falls and, and heat and cold and, and that type of thing to try to mitigate having to go back in the ambulance, but also to avoid having them get hurt. And, and that kind of goes back on us too, right? That you're doing a lift assist, like you said, but are you doing a lift assist and leaving stuff all over the floor for them just to fall again? or letting them leave the slippery socks on so that you can come back in two hours when they slip and fall again, or trying to say, hey man, let's put some shoes on. So the next time when you get up, you'll have some shoes. You won't be slippery, there won't be a slippery on the floor for you. And like you said, just a basic sort of thing of to kind of review that stuff and really understand that there's little things we can do that can benefit the patient and also benefit us so that the next patient can benefit. And and, and I, yeah, I'm sure people listening is going, oh my God, these two want to spend all day reviewing patients and studying and you know listening to podcasts and you know nerds you know what I mean but the thing is is that you know I'm not like that either you can ask partners that I've had and I complain about patients and I you know complain about going to calls and I don't like getting up at two o'clock in the morning either and I don't spend all day with the book in front of my face you know reading the book I I watch the tv and I and I watch stupid tiktok videos too as much as I watch other tiktok videos right there's a balance and that's the thing that people don't always do. They don't balance it out. They're either totally in the books and they're not enjoying the job at all, or they're too busy complaining and trying to get out of out of doing calls and then 
not benefiting from being able to study a little bit and being able to review calls that they've done and things like that. So it's all, I think, a little bit of a balance that people have to get in there. No, definitely. You can't live and breathe EMS. Like you cannot let it become who you are. I I know a lot of people who love EMS. I adore EMS, but there definitely has to be kind of a, a balance. Like you said, a healthy balance. Sure. Sometimes That's you just- like the of your dogs on there. Exactly. Sometimes you just need to put the books down. And if people at the firehouse or your private EMS service is part, they're watching a movie, watch the movie with them. Like you don't have to do right. it all the time. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I do have a question. So you said you've been in for 25 years. I'm sure throughout the 25 years, you've had interns, correct? Paramedic interns? Yeah, I had a few. What would you say would be your biggest advice to a preceptor who's about to get an intern? I actually have a, there's actually a free download on the site for people that tells them what to do for preceptors, the EMTs, you know, the students that go on there and what to expect, what they can, how to get the most out of it, things like that. I, I, I didn't even write it. All I did was go on to all the social media stuff. And this is back when I had forums, remember EMS forums oh, yeah. and stuff. And I had people, you know, other instructors give me all this information. And then I kind of just made sense of it and, and made a little bit of PDF out of it for people to benefit. The one thing I, that I think preceptors that I've found when either I was a preceptor or when I was being precepted, even with years of experience, you always have to you know go through that stage at a new at a new job where you're the you're sort of the third on the truck and somebody's evaluating you and stuff. I guess don't expect the the, the student to know everything. You know, sometimes I think preceptors go and they go, okay, this guy's an EMT, he's done with EMT school, and now he's precepting with me because he's got a job here. Or he's, let's say, three months into the program, so he should know at least three months of this content, right? They have to realize that what the what the person has learned in those three months, it's, it's so much content that they was thrown at them, right? And so much information that they're not going to even remember most of the stuff that's there. And the one thing that I think that I've tried to do always is to try to get it out of them, what their comfort level is. So that I can, I know that maybe they've learned how to take blood pressures or they've learned how to start IVs, right? But maybe they're not that comfortable yet on it. So I'll ask, are you comfortable with blood pressure? Are you comfortable? If they're not, but they're supposed to be, then I know that's something that I have to work on with them so they can be comfortable with a live patient taking blood pressure, a live patient getting IVs. So the one thing that I've always done is that before the shift even starts is to have that conversation. What are you comfortable at? What are you expecting to get out of the day here on the ambulance with me and are you having issues at home maybe you're having a bad day at home right that's going to affect what you do with me on the truck and at the same time i'm going to relay to them what is it that i'm expecting what am i expecting from them as well so this way it's not just me sitting in the front of the ambulance saying this is i know you've been through, through school this is where you're at or this is what you're doing i expect all this from you there's no excuse for you not to know what a no excuse for you not to do it no excuse for you be confused or be stressed on the call so i think it has to kind of be two ways right they have to give tell me what what they're expecting i have to tell them what you know what i'm expecting as well and if we're not really on the same page then we got to kind of figure out okay where is it that they're having difficulties in that's the job i think of the preceptors not just to sit there and evaluate what they know 
It's also evaluating what they don't know and what they're not comfortable with and to kind of elevate them a little bit so that they can be, right? Because they're going to be one day, they might be the person, if they're working for the agency and you're presenting them because they're, they're a new hire, you might be with them, just you and them on the truck one day, right? It might just, you know, then it might not be the third or they might be in school and then one day they might be getting hired at your agency. So you want to be able to elevate them so that if that day comes and you're with them or your partner's with them, you're, you'll be comfortable enough for them with them to go on calls and not have to work worry about what they're going to do or what they're not going to do yeah i definitely think getting that baseline like you said asking what you're not comfortable right. with, what you are comfortable that's that's key i know when i went into internship they had me send an email to my preceptor and say these are the things that i want to get down really really well while i'm in internship obviously you need to know um, you need to have your sure your dosages and things like that. You need to know what the department or the service carries and all of that sort of thing. But there's always going to be things that you can help them with. And so I think just asking them, you know, okay, so IVs aren't your thing. You haven't had enough time to practice IVs. Okay, well, we'll, we'll work on that. Or pharmacology isn't what you're strong at. No problem. We'll sit down and, you know, not make it a punishment, but rather make it like, well, I'll help you get to that point. Well, I think we've learned a lot about your program and about you as an EMS provider today. And before we kind of wrap this up, I do want to ask, what is one piece of advice you would offer to anyone going into EMS? Positive piece of advice. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I could do like everybody else does on Facebook. Don't do it. Exactly. Yeah. No, you know, the, the one positive piece of advice I have, I guess I would say is always try to keep learning a little bit and don't negate repetitive uh, content. Because like I said, with the stuff that I have on my websites or continuing education, a lot of people will be like, oh, I don't want to go to that stroke, you know, continuing ed presentation. I know everything there is to know about stroke. I've, I've learned it in school. I've taken several, you know, continuing ed programs already on it. And I've sat through two hours of this doctor saying it, and then an hour of this doctor giving me a lecture. I always tell people, be open to the repetitive content because there will be time where you will get somebody presenting it to you a certain way, giving it to you uh, from a certain angle that will make something clear click in your brain that you'll remember it forever, or it'll make it to the point where you'll get a little bit of uh, information that will mean the difference between the next patient you get and then recognizing something you never recognized before. And that I think is key. And this is why I always tell people, whether it's it's my program or somebody else's program, another a YouTube video, whatever the case may be, be open to that repetitive content because that's going to be what's going to be solidify that information in your brain and, and help you be a better provider. And then you'll be an asset to the agency that you're working for, right? Because they're going to know that you're always looking to improve just a little bit you know you i talk about the knowledge needle right moving your knowledge needle just a little bit every week every month every year and this way over time you'll be much more well-rounded you won't just be okay i gotta sit down for this exam i have to know tachycardia bradycardia you know there's other things in between there that if you kind of just take those additional sort of like i said repetitive content i think you're going to realize that there's little pieces that you're going to put together so that when you get that critical patient it's going to click in your brain and you're not going to sit there struggling what's going on with the patient and the same goes for exams too absolutely well thank you so much jim for coming on today and just kind of telling us more about yourself and introducing yourself i know i've made it a goal on my channel lately to really showcase people who are showing up positively for ems and definitely one of the ones that welcomed me first whenever i first got into the online world of ems 
And I appreciate that. Appreciate that so much. And I appreciate what you're doing for EMS students everywhere. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you.